future trends, deep insights, industry leaders. This is the iGaming Next podcast with your host, Pierre Lint. This podcast is brought to you by Pragmatic Solutions, the leading iGaming PAM platform with a modular approach, including many benefits like a fast, secure, and scalable API-based platform integrated with all major third-party products and services. Make sure you head over to Pragmatic Solutions and join our smart thinking. This podcast is brought to you by Pragmatic Play, an industry-leading content provider of slots, live casino, bingo, and virtual sports. Pragmatic Play excels at creating an immersive, engaging, and mobile-focused experience for players with over 200 HTML5 games that are available in all currencies, 31 languages, and all major certified markets. Discover more at pragmaticplay.com. This podcast is brought to you by YOLO Group, bringing next-level innovation to the worlds of gaming, fintech, blockchain, and more. Serving millions of users worldwide, YOLO Group is committed to putting the customer at the center of the universe via a wide range of fun, fast, and fair products and services. YOLO continues to drive crypto adoption and fintech innovation within both the iGaming and entertainment industry via its array of disruptive B2C and B2B brands. To find out more, visit YOLO.com. And good afternoon. Good afternoon, Tom. How are you doing today? Yeah, very good, Pierre. Thanks for having me on. Uh, it's an absolute pleasure. And, uh, you know, I was uh, doing my research here before this podcast and uh, quickly came to realize that I'm doing a podcast today with the best dressed person in the entire gaming industry. And so, you know, I couldn't be worse off myself. And obviously, to level with you today, I've been dressing up in a suit uh, today. So as a first question here, Tom, could you rate my suit, perhaps my efforts uh, today on a scale of one to ten? I think you look sharp. You know, like, All right. Yeah, look good. Good, good, good. Uh, so, so, Tom, what's the uh, what's the importance of uh, uh, like uh, coming across uh, the dressing and uh, keeping this image of a suit uh, at all times? Like, what do you think that um, that makes uh, types of difference for you? It's funny. When I was a kid, um, my I was, used to go to my best mate's house and and sit there and watch movies um, with him and his brothers and. His mum, I would always dress in my dad's clothes, so I'd have like a nice pair of slacks on and like like suit pants and and a shirt my dad gave me and some nice jumper and and the mum would go like, oh, why don't you dress more like your friend Tom to, to my best <laughs> and he's like, Tom, he's a weirdo, like he's twelve and <laughs> dressing up in a suit. What are you talking about? And I I don't know why I've always dressed quite formally. Maybe it's just because I saw my dad dressing that way and and I had a lot of hand me downs. And then as, uh, as I got older, my dad, is, as a present um, for birthdays, will always buy me shirts and suits and, and shoes. And so, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I've just always sort of kept to that. And, and when you get used to dressing in a certain style, it's sort of um, – and, and I think also dressing in a suit allows you to go in um, many different – you can be uh, – like you can go to basically anywhere. If you've got a dark suit, you can travel with it. You can go to a business meeting. If you have to go out, you can go out. It's um, it sort of fits for for many occasions, and uh, especially in, in when you're travelling to places like London, which require a suit for a lot of the places that you go. Um, but I, I don't know. I just got used to it, and and uh, and I've sort of always worn a suit. Uh, now with kids, I don't wear a suit as much as uh, as, as I used to. But I used to wear a suit basically every day. Um, uh, which people used to uh, laugh at when I was at university, going to uni. <laughs> suit, but anyway. 
I love that. Uh, I'm a big fan of How I Met Your Mother series that was in the early 2010s. And uh, one of the main characters, Barney Stinson, was famous for also wearing a, a suit. And he would all, also sleep in a suit. I don't know if that's the case uh, with you as well, Tom. Well, definitely not. Uh, definitely okay. not now with kids and, and, and married. But but yeah, it's 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 funny. I, it's Men have it very easy in comparison. I, I travel and just take some, I don't know, toiletry gear and socks and change of underwear or whatever and you just can have the same dark suit it's so easy being a <laughs> yeah, i like it well-tailored dark suit is yeah makes life pretty easy i like it i like it it goes with anything uh, so tom i mean you you come from a long line in in your family a background of uh, bookmakers and you obviously early on became the biggest uh, bookmaker in Australia uh, yourself. Uh, but can you talk a little bit more about kind of your family heritage? And um, then obviously you were born, uh, you were here now, and what happened in between? Yeah, okay. So look, my great-grandfather was a bookie in the 1800s. Um, my grandfather was the biggest bookie in the world in the 60s. So he would um, be betting to win or lose a million pounds and you could buy a house in a, a nice suburb in Sydney for 3,000 pounds. So it was just huge betting in the 60s. And um, and then my, my dad was uh, a big bookie and also a professional um, betting syndicate, betting all around the world. And and um, my mum is a horse trainer and her father was Australia's most successful group one winning horse trainer. So long heritage on both sides in, in the industry. And, and I grew up not liking uh, horse racing. Uh, at all or had any sort of uh, knowledge about betting. My future, I thought, was in the finance industry. And so I was doing commerce at Sydney University and, and majoring in finance. And uh, I literally went out one day to the races. My dad said, do you want to come out and, and work on a Saturday? And, and I just fell in love with it. There was so much action and big betting and theatre. And um, and I just said to my dad, look, can I work whenever you need someone? I'm, I'd love to work with you. And I sort of changed my university timetable around and, and worked to the races as much as I could. And then my grandfather came out of retirement to, to teach me how to be a bookie. And, and I basically had the blueprint of how my dad and my grandfather had operated. And, um, and uh, yeah, I just fell in love with it. And, and basically that became my, my passion. Yeah, fantastic. I, I mean, now obviously you're raising children yourself. Is this important to you that the legacy within the family continues? In terms of with my kids? Yeah, exactly. So, Look, I think um, what's... So from going to being a, an on-course bookmaker to running online betting business, being TomWaterhouse.com, then to running uh, William Hill, Australia's business, to now running a VC uh, company, I, I, it doesn't, isn't necessarily going into betting or to being a bookie, but I, I think I'd love... If they loved it, obviously it's up to the kids, but being in business you know business is, is such a fun game to play and and um and I, I i'm very passionate i love working and i love um just being part of businesses and being in business hopefully they're passionate about that as well but if they're not well it's their life but i definitely talk about business a lot and i get them to come into the office and and because i love talking about business i i basically make that the conversation often yeah yeah but yeah, I don't know. It's a, it's really up to as long as they're happy and and like what they're doing, then then whatever. Amazing. Uh, and I would like to uh, to to talk a little bit about uh, kind of the brand itself, uh, Tom Waterhouse, because uh, in the businesses that you've created throughout the years, um, this 
the personal brand has seemingly always followed you, so to say. You have TomWaterhouse.com, TomWaterhouseVC, uh, obviously. I think there's Tom's uh, Picks uh, or Waterhouse Picks or something like that.com as well. Um, uh, and uh, can, can you talk a little bit more about just the 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 choice of um, using your own personal brand at the at this at the core of the businesses that you've created? Yeah, look, so in. I thought that my life would be being an on-course bookmaker. Um, so I was worked with my grandfather and, and we went from being the starting out in sort of 2002, 2003 to being biggest bookmaking operation in Australia by 2008. And I thought, I moved down to Melbourne and I thought, gosh, how good is is, uh, is life being a bookie? I work a few days, maybe four days each week. I was living at Crown Casino for four years and I thought, Every day is like every 10 minutes I've got a, uh, it's like you're paying high st- playing high stakes poker. And it was just so much fun turning over hundreds of millions of dollars and betting punters to win millions of dollars each day. And I just thought this is the best. Um, but what happened was is that the advertising restrictions opened up in Australia. Um, the iPhone came out and 3G internet. And so all of these on-course uh, customers went from betting with me on course and other bookies to going online and so we thought well we have to go down the path of launching an online betting business and we saw the success of individuals uh in the uk william hill uh victor chandler bet fred and thought well our family is has been well known you know they've been in the industry for over 100 years um my mum was well known my grandfather my dad um and why not leverage that and and uh, Paddy Power came out to buy Sportsbet and, and they did some data, re- some market research and we had very high awareness um, and thought, well, why not brand it using that brand awareness and, and do it as an individual? And and really that was before the period of social media um, and digital marketing, which actually played into the hands of, if you look at the 50 most followed um, entities on, on, like, let's say Twitter, they're not companies the individuals that people follow. And, and so I think we're ahead of our time in that in that area. And then um, that was really successful for us. Our cost per acquisition was really low um, from sort of 2009 to when we sold to William Hill in 2013, we were acquiring customers at a, a very low cost per acquisition. And and that was a big advantage for our, for our business. And um, yeah, it, it was, it seems like a no-brainer now, but it wasn't a no-brainer then. But we thought that that was probably, based on the UK experience, the right thing to do. Right, right. And you know, it, are there also kind of risks by going down that path? Uh, so, for example, the brand is very tied to you personally, right? And if um, if something happens with you, you have to take a step back from the business, or uh, say that you end up in some controversy or something like that. Um, usually, businesses would have the um, power to rebrand and kind of start fresh to, uh, to if, if they make a mistake, for example. But, um, but it, it, in your case, the brand is very tied to you personally. Um, is, that, is that also a risk? Yeah, I think it is. Um, you see that businesses that have gone down the path, you, you, Betar is launching launching in the US at the moment. You had Barstool oh. with Dave, Dave Portnoy. Um, they obviously are going down that path because there is uh, it works, you know, it works in terms of lower cost per acquisition, but you are tying yourself into an individual for the good or the bad. Like and Richard Branson's probably an example in another industry. Um, gambling is highly regulated and uh, probably got a, 
a higher bar or higher set of standards you have to keep yourself to. And I think it's, um, yeah, it's, it's the shadow of the strength. You know, if, if you've got to be prepared from a personal point of view to take the backlash that comes with facing a, um, a betting business and all of the regulatory stuff that comes with it. Um, but I think it's easier for people to identify, well, I bet with Dave Portnoy's brand or I bet with uh, this individual and I see what they stand for and I either like them or dislike them. It's far more polarizing, I think, having an individual fronting your brand. But I think from what I've seen, it's actually the quickest way to get to a certain market share. You're never going to get it. Uh, having a more uh, vanilla or mainstream brand, you're going to get a, a bigger market share, I think, over time. But to get quickly traction and to get a business to off the ground, it, it's uh, if you've got the right individual that, um, it's being able to get sort of capture some uh, people's attention and, and stuff. It, it works really well. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I have a question for you, Tom, on that note as well. Um, when, you, when you launch your business as a personal brand and um, you kind of infuse your own personality into the brand uh, and in the marketing as well, um, what is most important? Is it uh, to create an image that people can relate to that they like and that they support or is it more important to be seen by as many people as possible aka is all pr good pr i think short term trying to get off the ground you just have to be noticed you don't have to be liked you just have to have an opinion and uh the it's sort of like that water cooler moment you need where people are actually can you believe that that they've done this or have you seen this and if you can create that well, if they're talking about you, um, the uh, then you're going to get the business to have some traction. And um, I don't know, there's some famous quote from like someone is that that person's living like rent free in your mind. You know, you need to create right. those type of uh, right. those, type, <laughs> those type of moments. And you don't need to be to be liked. But I think if you want to have a more mature brand and to take up uh, be the scale dominant player in a market well, then you need to have a, a more everyone can identify, everyone can use. Um, but I think for quick traction, having polarization and people not necessarily like you, yeah, it can work very well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look at the major influencers in this world, uh, say Jake Paul, you mentioned better uh, here earlier. Uh, I don't think Jake Paul necessarily is... Um, that well liked by most people who follow him, so to say. But maybe he is. Uh, I'm just kind of guessing here. But uh, but he's certainly a very polarizing uh, figure and not shy to controversy. And that, that's type of that's the type of content people want to see at the end of the day. And I'm, I'm a big fan of the UFC. So in M MMA, the most popular fighters are often the ones who are most controversial. Like Conor McGregor, good example here, of course. Nick Diaz was fighting last weekend. Um, and so, uh, and, and in our industry as well, you mentioned David Portnoy uh, as well, very polarizing figure, but people love to follow him, right? Yeah. Um, and so, so it seems to me that it, it is that uh, polar, polarizing image and uh, big opinions and uh, kind of the entertainment factor that people are looking for, especially in our business, which is uh, obviously entertainment-led. Yeah, correct. It's, it's, a, it's a journey. I guess it's that polarization and creating that noise and... And then if you want to keep that brand long-term is then that journey to make it more mainstream. And uh, when you mentioned those fighters, I thought of Muhammad Ali, like he was so polarizing and, and yes. 
at the beginning of his career and then became a very like mainstream more mainstream type view and uh and loved character that's a very hard transition you know and and uh and not that that was for a particular brand but an individual i think you you have to go through a few it's hard to start out if he hadn't yelled out i'm the greatest and and sort of been such an outgoing person and had all of the drama about um with the vietnam war and all this sort of stuff he may not have had that unbelievable brand awareness as compared to uh, other heavyweight champions of the world. And then the, that brand changed over time, you know, and, and I think if you want to be, I know that's a very different to that per, to Muhammad Ali, to, to someone that's a brand ambassador for, for a gambling company, or whatever, but if you want to be the winner in the market, I, I don't think you can be polarize, po- polarizing the extent that when you look as when you launch you know it needs to be a, a mainstream appeal yeah, yeah interesting to, to hear i mean and then there are other examples as well of this kind of like personal brands that uh, doesn't work out very well say uh, again going back to uh, to the ufc um before conor mcgregor the big kind of star that outshined the organization was uh, the first female fighter who was uh, ronda rousey she was huge when uh, ufc uh, launched the women's division uh, at, at first and um, she she was a world star kind of everyone knew who she was and so on now today not that many people are aware of Ronda Rousey anymore because what happened was uh, she was very polarizing she was uh, very aggressive towards her opponents and and when she had her first loss it was kind of devastating to her uh, brand on the other hand Conor McGregor he had losses but he was still able to kind of carry that uh, star shine forward you know and, and so uh, again, just going back to this, uh, that um, it is possible to to create this personal brand, but it it can also go the other way, right? Yeah, well, I, I guess, and going back to like yeah. the Muhammad Ali example, you've got to actually follow through, and that and he was the greatest fighter of all time, wasn't he? And and I guess it's the same yeah. with you've got to keep you can be polarizing or you can be noticed or whatever, but it, you've got to actually back up what you're saying if you want to be yes. long term. Yeah. Uh, winner or long-term be the, and I guess that's the same in business. If you can go out and make headlines by being uh, polarizing or saying something or having a completely different sort of marketing campaign, but you have to have, you have to back it up. If you don't have the best customer experience and you don't have uh, the best product offering and you don't keep uh, reinventing the way you're marketing and making it interesting, well, then you're just that, that thing that was exciting for that little bit of time. And, and, yeah, it's it's constantly evolving, and uh, I guess that's um, uh, incredible for someone that's been a successful person heading brands like someone like Richard Branson has been successful now over many decades, many different industries using that Virgin brand um, and reinventing of what that Virgin brand stands for. Uh, there's people that have done it successfully. It's just a tough, yeah, a tough task. And, and it's also like a guy like Richard Branson, for example. Because of his successes and because of his um, kind of grit and determination throughout the years and building this image of being the guy who, uh, you know, always gets ahead, works hard and visualizes things into reality, uh, it, his words carry weight as well. And so on the, say, the um, influencers around the world, there are a lot of influencers who have a massive following, like millions and millions of followers. But it's not that many influencers who actually move people in a in a certain direction, because many generic influencers they maybe haven't really 
done anything else than just being an influencer or you know creating a large following and even though they have a large following they just don't move the needle right and yeah. that's the strength of um, a guy like richard branson or yourself for that matter who can back up the what they talk about right the interesting thing that um i've seen that hasn't worked well in the gambling industry is when a company has got a brand ambassador or an influencer on and they don't live and breathe and be part of that brand long term they're just there right. to promote it quickly well yes. if there's if it doesn't ring true it doesn't work and i guess the the thing that i feel with richard branson is that even though he might be supporting very many different businesses with that brand when i interact with the verge of brand even though they're different companies and might be different ownership structures and i don't know how his brand ambassador deals work but they have a virgin feel you know it feels yeah. like it's it's young it's a bit edgy, edgy it's funny it's not taking itself too seriously that rings true to me and yes. and that has got to be whoever you've got as fronting or influencing or whether it's their own brand it's got to be on brand you know it's funny when you asked about the suits to begin with i know with with um tomwaterhouse.com it didn't have it maybe it wasn't the best thing to be in a suit or maybe it wasn't the best thing to do, to be on this or do that but what the one thing we always stuck to is it just had to be me it might be boring yes what I am but if I'm going to be the face or whatever it, it just has to be consistent with the way that I act and interact because as the minute you don't act sort of true to that brand it it sort of just doesn't work and um I think that's key I think in that, and I think those businesses that do have brand ambassadors or influencers for them in the US gambling market they have to be it has to be true to the brand and follow through over a long period of time that that person lives and breathes their yeah. business and the business if if it's funny or if it's serious or if it's edgy or whatever it is that flows through to every point of the customer interaction whether it's uh call centers to um, the look and feel of the website to the customer service and live chat on the website it's got to be true yeah absolutely P people see through uh, like people who are not authentic very quickly i mean it's, it's like when you meet someone out on the street, you get to know a new person. The first thing that you are looking for is to kind of understand who the person really is in order to find a connection with that person. I, I think uh, like someone like Drake, for example, and the, the partnership with stake.com is um, probably the best uh, brand activation of the gambling industry in recent years, uh, I would say, just for, for this important. reason, because he's adopting that personality, right? He's adopting that lifestyle as a gambler and what can happen if you, you know, bet big and kind of, you know, go big or go home kind of thing. And he li lives and breathes that, at least through uh, his social media efforts. And then you can say, I mean, it's controversial, of course. You know, you can say responsible gambling, so on and so forth. But you, you can't deny that it's a successful brand activation for a stake. Yeah, I, I agree. If it, if people are, are living a breather, you can't help, especially in today's day and age with where you're following people all the time. You just want people that are true. I know my wife follows on Instagram this, this lady that doesn't wear makeup and she shows all her pimples and and <laughs> talks about how she's eaten too much and she just is very raw yeah. but my wife loves that because <laughs> it's it's natural she's not all glam and 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 that's interesting you know it's and, and yeah. it's because you you feel like you're getting to know that person and understand them and, and that's the same with an influencer brand person for your betting business you want to be betting with your bookie you know the person that you want to know what they're you're drawn to them and i think that if if someone can do that and and be true to it and morph into being more mainstream over time 
it's very hard for a uh, a vanilla brand to compete because you've got so many different other channels that they can't compete on. You're never going to get a vanilla brand. And I, I think actually Flutter, parent company through their funny advertising with Paddy Power and Sportsbet have actually done it the best of those mainstream brands. But they've taken, at least in, in the UK, that Paddy Power individual like Irish Larrick and funny thing, I've been so impressed with how they've been able to put that across other brands. You know, it's uh, mm. it's, but it's a hard, it's a harder task as a mainstream company than an individual, at least in the beginning. Yeah, and and maybe also especially for uh, gambling industry companies or operators, because the gambling industry is um, at the end of the day seen as. Um, very polarizing industry from from the general public and it maybe doesn't have the best reputation and so it's difficult maybe uh, to find um individuals who really can kind of uh, carry the brand uh, for them uh, and who wants to kind of carry the industry's logo forward and, and who wants to adopt that brand and personality that is uh, maybe not so difficult in in other industries say you know, in, in esports, for example, if, if you if you work in esports, you are very likely to be on um, uh, a fan yourself, so to say, of, of esports, and it it will be easier to kind of uh, create create those uh, images uh, of, of personalities who want to carry the brand forward. But in our industry, the, the, it's it, it's perhaps a bit more difficult to to find that connection between hum, real human beings and the brand within the gambling industry. Do, do, do you find that as well, or am I? No, I think you're right. I generalizing. Think you're, I think you're right. Is is that you've got to be all in, and you've got to yes. be very accepting that take the good with the bad you know if, if you're going to be the face of a gambling company as you say it's there's going to not everyone's going to think you're you're doing uh the most amazing thing in the world you you're not saving uh homeless children or or people that need food or so you're not you're not doing some great uh great thing compared to other industries in, in a sense and you've got to be able to say, well, look, I'm, I'm happy with that and I'm happy to be the face and I love this industry and I love the thrill yeah. of it and and you know, well, and the positives of being the face of this uh, outweigh the negatives of, of whatever social backlash there is. And, yeah, so, um, uh, and so to, to kind of tie it together a bit, I think, uh, Tom, in your case, if I were to analyze uh, you know, your, your brand and, and, and so on, um, I would say like, why it makes sense for you to use your own brand and uh, to to kind of build on that in, in your organization is because you have the background that you have, right? Like, like you come from a long line of family of bookmakers. Uh, you know, you were at the racing track since an early age and you've lived and you breathed this industry your entire life. And so the connection between you, your hobbies, your interests, who you are as a person uh, and your business is very strong. And people obviously will uh, will trust that, so to say, or they, 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 will, they, they will see that it's authentic. Right. I think that's why it works. I think so. I, I, was, I thought when uh, I was CEO, CEO of um, William Hill Australia's business is that if I was even in the best, I don't know, 1% of CEOs, there's still thousands of CEOs. And there's, I've been so lucky to have come from the background that I have and had the, the heritage and also the learnings that I, from the family. And there's not many people in this industry or in m- many industries have got such a long background and uh, you've got to play to your strengths and and having a, a, a brand whether it's a personal brand family brand um, and building on that knowledge and building on that brand um, 
I was lucky to come from that background. So why not uh, embrace it and and yeah and and build on it? And I, and I guess um, there's a level of authentic, authenticity in that uh, the the family name and it's been known for a long period of time. But also for me, I just stick to the one industry that I've grown up in and, and know. And um, and so it seems natural to use my brand and to use the the family brand because that's our one industry that we've sort of been in for a hundred. 100 plus years yeah as a final thing we have a saying in our company we we keep repeating this to our especially to our commercial team to our sales team is um you know how like what makes the best salesperson like how how do you sell uh the most optimal like how do you deliver the best pitch and um in in the 90s it used to be this um, abc tactic which is always be closing it's kind of like Wolf of Wall Street type, like you snag them down until they say yes, and then you move on to the next client, and you never hear uh, from, from from the from the client that you close again. But in in today's world, where we are so connected all the time, uh, your personal reputation becomes so much more important. And um, so we so so really and truly, the best salespeople in 2022 uh, are those who are just genuinely good people. And so we always sell. We always say to our team that. Um, uh, you want to you want to produce a lot of sales just be yourself like be your authentic self unless you are a serial killer then don't be yourself okay but then you should work somewhere else you know <laughs> it's right it's it's um it's amazing the more that you can try and do good whether it's in your relationships or in in terms of trying to help other people in business it's amazing that it especially as time goes on it becomes like a snowball do you know what i mean and and Yes. the reverse that if you act poorly and do poorly it, it goes in the opposite direction of a snowball and, and i think you're you're right is stick true and act in a way that you want to be people to act to you to you and and uh, that having where people know you and understand you and have seen you operate in a certain way uh it's yeah it builds on itself doesn't it and it's uh i think that's right the best way to have success in sales or in building a business or whatever it is to consistently act in a way that is a way that would attract people to to interact with you. So absolutely, always be yourself unless you're a serial killer. Someday that will be that will be quoted under my name. Uh, so, so, so Tom, just to, to switch topic here. Like, I mean, obviously, you've had a fantastic career. Uh, you're still at a at a fairly young age. Uh, you have a lot ahead of you, and you accomplished uh, a lot already. Um, what would you attribute your success to? Is it um, is it grit? Is it being smart? Is it having the right network, or is it luck? I think a lot to begin with was luck. Um, in that, obviously, lucky that um, came from the background and family that I came to, and then luck that I went to the races at this particular just when I'm beginning of university because I could have easily. If I'd started off in the finance industry and, and finished uni and, and then gone to the race, well, I would have already been down another path. And then uh, I think success breeds success. And, and you, I had luck using the blueprint of my, my dad and my grandfather. The first, I think, 19 meetings I worked as a bookie, I won. So it gave me huge confidence that I could be successful at it. And there's nothing like confidence. You know, my I had my dad who believed that I could do it and not many people get a chance to be a bookie at 19 or 20 and win or lose lots of lots of money and actually be thrown in the deep end. So I had confidence from him that 
he thought that I was able to do it. And if you think, if your dad thinks you're able to do it, you go, well, if he thinks I can, then of course I can. And, and then I was lucky that I won those first sort of 19 meetings and that gave me huge confidence to think that I could do it. And, um, and once you have a little bit, I always say when people go into business, once they have a little bit of revenue going through their hands, they can basically do anything because they're, once that money's going through, they can pivot and try different things. And it's a little bit like that once you start, if you have a little bit of success, you just don't want to stop because it's such a great feeling of um, having success. And, and it doesn't, that's not to say there's been so many times where things have been going unbelievably well and then have been going unbelievably poorly. And so it's not all like this. It's a roller coaster of success and not success and failures. And But once you're in the game, you it's, it's so much fun. You know, you want to play the game yeah. and you want to pivot and you want to find new opportunities and new things to do. And, and But I think definitely having the background that I had, which was luck, obviously being born into family that had such a rich heritage in both sides of racing and and betting and and luck also of having some success to begin with yeah absolutely. you know what uh, in your opinion is uh, are there any like traits that you see when you speak to young entrepreneurs who are starting their businesses obviously you have your vc firm so you you take a lot of meetings with potential investment opportunities are there any traits that you that you look for in uh, entrepreneurs uh, i don't we talked about this before and i i've um early on in my own kind of entrepreneurial experience and, I, and something i realized for myself is that i'm like it's really important as an entrepreneur to be a bit delusional because if you if you realize the task that you have ahead of yourself when you start a business most people probably wouldn't start that business so a little bit a hint of delusion is probably a good ingredient. But um, when you speak to entrepreneurs, uh, what, what are things that you look for? I think it's self-starters. You know, people that are happy to basically, they're not looking for today, like what can I be paid right now? How do I make this amount of money right now? It's I just want to be relentless to try and grow and to do stuff and, and that aren't waiting for, well, you need to do X, Y, Z. It's It's... Uh, well, actually, I'm going to try and do these 20 things and I just like a bullet a gate nonstop of executing. And if they've got a vision and belief, like you said, in terms of beliefs that they can do it, um, whether it's it's founded or not, is that being relentless to go after it. And uh, the people that have um, I've been most impressed with have, have said to me, oh, look, uh, these are all the things that I, I can... Um, I want to do and and I'm not looking for anything from you but I'd love you to be involved but I'm going to do these 10 or 20 things and they just get on and do it and you're like wow this person's a force because most a lot of people have ideas and a lot of people can talk the talk but there's right a big difference between having ideas talking the talk and actually executing and and I guess then another level on of those people that talk the talk have ideas and execute is the people that are really successful, I think, are the people that execute but then have the vision and the storytelling and the personality that want to bring people and can bring people on the journey because you need an army of people um, that you're going to bring along for them to be successful. So you need a whole group of people that you work with to make a success of things and you need where they're willing to go down your path and fight that battle that you want to fight and the, those type of people that 
are relentless, but also can bring other people to uh, on that journey. They're very, uh, very yeah. Hard. It's a it's a great point, I think, Tom, because I think um, maybe what is uh, overlooked sometimes uh, as, a, as a young entrepreneur is um, say that you have the smarts to come up with a really good idea, and you have the grit and determination to actually um, put in the hours and the sacrifice that is needed to uh, to get the ball rolling. But then the next issue is, uh, as you point out, that you have to build a team around yourself as well. And uh, perhaps in the beginning, when you uh, when you found a company, you don't have the financial strength to um, uh, attract the uh, the best talent on the on the market. And so, how do you attract that talent still, even though a really good candidate will get a much better offer from a uh, established organization, like an established competitor that has a much more secure kind of um, uh, offers a, bit, a better, more sustainable uh, livelihood for that employee. Like you have to be really good at convincing people <laughs> that your idea is um, is worth taking a risk for, right? That's a, a huge hurdle for uh, any startup. Correct. Uh, and I guess there's belief in that if someone can, if someone respects you and goes, well, that person switched on, I believe what the vision he's out, outlining and he's committing his life to make it a success, it's quite compelling because you're like, well, actually the person switched on, what they're outlining, outlining is seems plausible and looks like it's a great opportunity and they're giving up everything in their time and their effort to make it a success. You're like, actually, I want to be with that person because they've got so much like drive and ambition and they're going after it. But it's obviously much harder if, if you're not willing to commit yourself and uh, it's... Yeah, it's hard to get talent. And I, and I guess that the key thing of starting a business, you need to find someone that can really complement you and uh, and that is the right person to go to take that business along along the journey. You need someone that, that complements the skill sets that you don't have. Absolutely. It's a, it's a good way of putting it. And, and, and Tom, I mean, you, you've been you've been an entrepreneur. You've been the CEO of a large organization. You're an investor now, obviously, and so you kind of have experienced a lot of different uh, positions and responsibilities in, in your career. Um, what would you say is the difference between, say, being an entrepreneur and being a, a CEO of a large organization? What differs between the skill sets that you need to have and also uh, an investor, say? Like, uh, you, you, must, you must have adopted a lot of these skills along the way uh, in order to be successful. Yeah, it's in interesting in that, um, so I've gone from family business to uh, an on-course bookie down in Melbourne and, and having to go away from th that sort of partnership with my grandfather, which was just such a great time uh, of my life. And, and But we fought like cat and dog. I, I can't think <laughs> of anyone that I've argued with except for my grandfather. We would, every day going home in the car, we would be, he would just, absolutely give it to me and tell me you're an imbecile you're an idiot you've got no idea what you're <laughs> doing um which was uh, amazing because i had this person uh, my grandfather was in his 80s who'd been the biggest bookie in in the world and had this amount of experience just telling me from a raw perspective what i i, I was doing wrong and, and he was actually right about nearly everything but that having that sort of uh, guidance and hard back at me made me thick have thick skin like to, toughened me up and going from that family business environment with my aunt my dad and my grandfather 
to then moving down to Melbourne and, and being not having my grandfather by my side to being a, an on-course bookie to then TomWaterhouse.com, which was an online startup, to then selling to William Hill and, and running, being the CEO of William Hill Australia, which had, as you mentioned, 500 people and two and a half billion turnover as a big, much bigger organisation across uh, multiple countries to have to manage that, to then going back into startup and then launching Waterhouse VC as, a, as an investment fund. They all have amazing uh, bits about them that you go, gosh, I wish I was in that bit because it had this. And then, uh, as we talked about before, they had shadows of their strengths. You know, it's um, there's family business is is got such great appeal to it because you're in the trenches with people you love, people you trust, but it's also a lot more raw in a, in a certain sense because uh, I could never speak to someone or speak to someone the way that my grandfather and I interacted, and but that was amazing that we could interact in that way. And you also are living and breathing your work when you're at home, you know, so that family interaction time is different. Um, but you have probably never have that level of trust and intimacy with anyone else or that love that you have with your family. And then in a startup business, you, you're flying by the seat of your pants because you don't know all the different roles of whether it's marketing or customer service or how to set up all the, like the different accounts you need to set up and to hire and, and you sort of have to do a bit of everything. And that was a great learning experience uh, coming into to run William Hill's business in Australia because I had to have understood each function within a corporate bookmaking business. And then uh, being a corporate CEO and having 500 people uh, in, in that business is that you've got to be, to be successful in a business of scale and obviously much bigger is that you've got to uh, basically display a vision that people are going to jump on board with and also not only get large teams to believe in you, but it's a non-stop people interaction. You've got to really put the time in and care for that team. And, and that's a very tough job. You know, I was, I remember that role being in the office before seven and have catch-ups for two hours before even the, the day starts of just spending time with the people, understanding what drives them and trying to ensure that the vision that you have as CEO is the same vision that they're sharing. And then that vision cascades down to all the different departments within the business. And, and that is a very tough job. And not to say that I succeeded in that at all. It's a tough task. And then you've got to take that vision that you have as a, as a, a company in that country and make sure that that's the same aligned vision with, with the mothership, with the corporate entity, which has so many other competing interests with its different global divisions. And, um, and so it's, I think it's about having a vision that, people buy into downstream and also upstream. And and that's a very complicated, you go to be running like a big ship and then um, and then back in startup mode, you're like a speedboat again. And, and, and that is the thing that I've um, really enjoyed about the investing side of things is seeing that people and businesses that can do those skill sets across startups, small businesses, family businesses, large corporates, and who are doing those things well. And then there's a big difference between who do them great who and who are doing them poorly. And it's, I don't think I was a major success in any of those. I just, it was just interesting to see how different they are. You know, family businesses, startup yeah. business, sole trader businesses, corporate entities, listed businesses. It's just, they're different. So, uh, so Tom, like so, sometimes I look at my own network and I, 
of, of successful people that I know or that I've seen and, and so forth. And, and um, it seems to be uh, the, the people who become CEOs of big organizations seem to have two different journeys. Uh, either the CEOs, they kind of become career CEOs and they would mo move on from one CEO position to another and so on. And um, I don't know, I, th I think the, the psychological explanation for that is that some people are just naturally very orderly. No. Uh, and so they, they prefer to keep things organized. And so they naturally fall into this kind of CEO position where, which is a lot about kind of uh, organizing and keeping the ship together, so yeah. to say. And then others, uh, CEOs, they kind of had this journey where they perhaps start the organization, they build it to a point where they feel like it's time to move on to something else. Uh, and and uh, it seems to me that uh, that is a little bit the journey that you've had. Like you, you started from, um, from, from scratch in a way, you build up your organization, and now you have moved on to, uh, to kind of become uh, an investor. Uh, do, do you think, uh, do you feel that from your perspective, uh, that it gives you an advantage, an edge, should say, that, um, uh, that you've had that experience uh, running a company, building a company, uh, when you when you now uh, work as an investor and you you try to assist and to to guide the companies that you work with? Yeah, I think I um, am so thankful for the time that I had with William Hill and running that business was just so interesting. Um, but the bit that uh, it's the bit that I find a lot more interesting now is being an investor and running Waterhouse VC and basically using the lessons of the last 20 years from being a bookmaker to online betting business to running William Hill and basically those lessons and finding business that display uh, the attributes or display the attributes very strongly of what I think is um, going to lead to success. And, and I think it was a perfect time of my life um, before kids were old enough of, of William Hill, it's basically to be be successful. And again, it, it's not to say that I was in some great success. I, I had a lot to learn as a, as a corporate CEO, but you have to be all in. You know, you have to be all in. You have to, for it to be, yeah, you have, it's a huge grind. And you, and you see these people and, and case studies of these great sort of football managers and, and sporting managers, and they live and breathe and every person in that organisation is like part of their family. And that is the level of commitment, I think, to ultimately be a great success. You need to really be all in and and be guiding that ship on a vision that's shared. And even with all of that, you may not be a success, but I think you, it's an, it's an all-in uh, thing and it's a, it's a huge task to be a, a successful CEO of a large, large organisation. All right, Tom, so how important is it for startups to have an exit strategy? Because um, the, if I understand it correctly, the type of organizations you invest in are generally post-revenue, but they are still quite early in their, uh, in their journey. And so when you look at the potential investment opportunities, is the um, potential exit strategy, is that a center stone in the decision you take to, uh, to invest in organizations, or can that come at a later stage? No, I think, um, so we're long-term investors, and so it's less about the um, exit. Is it, We want to be in businesses that are revenue generating because, as we sort of touched on before, it's very easy to have uh, a great idea and talk the talk. But if you've actually got money going through your hands and you're generating revenue, you've proven that you'll be able to get over that really hard stage of launching. And so 
We want to see revenue going through their hands. And for us, it's more important. Do Can they provide a key technology that multiple operators will want? And for us, if they can build a great business, great technology across multiple operators, um, well, the exit or the um, liquidity point will come at a certain stage. But for us, we want to be long-term investors in the key technology anyway. So um, it's far, far more about right team, have they been able to execute getting money in the door and do they have a technology that's good enough to be in not just one or two operators, but 10 or 20 operators. Brilliant, brilliant. And a final question as well for you, Tom. Uh, who should be interested in um, contacting you when it comes to potential uh, investees? So uh, organizations that might look for an organization, what type of organization should you be in order to be an, an interesting object to uh, Tom Waterhouse VC? And also, are you looking, on the other hand, are you looking for LPs, the general partners, uh, more investment into the fund? Uh, what, what are the... The people who should be interested in contacting you, basically. Our main focus is is finding businesses, you know, finding great businesses that we want to invest in. And that's really for us, it's can the business solve pain points for the operators? So is it from things that we touched on before? Can they lower the cost per acquisition? Can they increase the value per player? Um, can they make the user journey much, much better, much slicker? Um, can they put a new piece of technology that the market hasn't seen? Uh, are they doing these? Have they got this thing? Have they been able to convince someone to try the technology already? And has it got some traction? And if it has got some traction, we think it's unique and solves a problem, then it's very interesting for us. And uh, that's sort of what we sort of stick to and, and really just trying to focus on paying close attention to what the operators are doing and what are they struggling, what are the things they're looking for. And so like understanding their speaking to the people from their teams, understanding, listening to all their investor calls, reading their annual reports, understanding what are the pain points of these large organisations and, and who are the technology providers out there trying to solve those problems. And, um, and yeah, for us, it's, it's much more, we want to spend 99.9% .9 of our time thinking about those type of businesses and meeting those businesses rather than uh, going and, yeah, raising money or finding investors where we sort of focus on if we can do great deals and, hopefully get good returns that the rest of it takes care of itself. Brilliant, Tom. And final, final question from my side as well. What's the, uh, what's the purpose of, of all of this, Tom? Like uh, you're, 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 you're 40 years old. Uh, you've had great success in your career. You could retire tomorrow if you wanted, but you keep going. What, what's, what's the end goal? What's the purpose with your hard work? Yeah, it's a, I sort of, um, think of one of those self-help books or whatever you sort of read and they go put a number in your mind and if you think about that number you'll get to that number and then like all of this sort of from a financial point of view it's it I don't think of it well I need to get to this or I've got to this and I can retire to me the most fun game there is is business you know and, and I think of I would pay unlimited to be able to meet uh when I say unlimited I'd, I'd be so interested in, and it would be worth a fortune to meet the likes of Warren Buffett or Charlie Munger or Rupert Murdoch or George Soros or any of these people that are in their later years in life, but they're still at the forefront. And whether you like what they've done in business or you don't like or you like, they're just interesting because they're doing stuff and they continue to do stuff and keep pushing the boundaries and 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 are so on top of things. You know, it's amazing that they're just so with it and on top of everything. And, and 
I sort of go, well, throughout my life, I want to be, I want to be doing stuff, and I, and I don't want to ever retire, and I want to be in the game. I like business better than golf, or better than tennis, or better. I want to be in that game, and I want to be uh, sort of doing stuff till till I can't do it anymore. And and I think those, if you're in the game, for me, you're very interesting, you know. And the, it's just because someone has some money or whatever, it's um, if they're not doing anything, it's they're, they're not as interesting to be around. Hopefully, when I'm old, much much older, people go, oh, I still want to. More kids or grandkids won't want to talk about business and do stuff because I, I love that game and and so for me I I don't want to ever retire I just want to keep trying to evolve and do try different things and but stick to the core area that I have expertise in and, and that I've been lucky to to grow up in and but keep going from on course bookie to start up to running William Hill to having a tipping business odds aggregator business to now complete focus on running this VC um, business and being an investor, uh, hopefully it, it keeps I love that. Uh, uh, and keep doing it's different fantastic. things. It's, it's the passion. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, um, it's, it's, it's the passion. Correct. Yeah. It's, yeah. Who wants to, some people want uh, to retire uh, and, the, and yeah, I completely get it. But my grandfather was going to the office seven days a week until he was in his mid nineties. And my, my mum and dad who are nowhere near retirement, but they still get up at, Two thirty or three o'clock in the morning and working every day, and and they're they're doing way more than what I'm doing, and and it's so interesting, like hearing like what they're up to and their uh, latest things and the the battles and the uh, it's great, it's it's fun. Absolutely, it's like um, the uh, the late Steve Jobs used to say, it's the journey that is the reward, not the end goal, basically. Great. Tom, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you uh, on today. Uh, it's a huge honor for me to be able to spend this time with you. And uh, I want to thank you so much for, for today and um, hope to have you back here soon. Thanks, Pierre. Thank you.